Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the podcast. My name is AJ Venegas, and I am the pastor of Life Groups and Discipleship. And today we are excited to rebroadcast our Explore God group conversation. You might be asking, what is the Explore God group? Well, in this sermon series, the Explore God series, we are going to be preaching every Sunday on Christianity's toughest questions. We invite you to come out every Sunday and bring any of your friends that are asking tough questions about Christianity. And then during the week, come on up again on Wednesday nights, community nights here at Three Crosses to join our group of people who are wanting to go even deeper into the week's conversation. And so the conversation you're going to hear today is based off of the question, is God necessary in the era of science? If you want to learn more about what's going on on Wednesday nights at our community nights, feel free to visit threecrosses.church slash community nights. Now, without further ado, we hope you enjoy the conversation. Let's go deeper. Welcome to Explore God Bay Area. We're grateful that you're here. We're here to uh, answer some questions together with a lot of the another church, a lot of other churches in the East Bay or in the Bay Area, looking at questions that are um, ch- confronting to Christianity. And we're going to be looking at is God necessary in the era of science? And so we're going to be doing that live tonight, answering some questions that have been submitted during the week and maybe answering some more questions that come up tonight. And then this will be recorded and videoed for our podcast. And that should air next week. So take a listen, especially if you had a chance to ask a question. Maybe you can hear your own voice. It could be fun. So we'll be doing that. And again, I'm going to have a panel here tonight for our Is God Necessary in the Era of Science? We'll do a little recap of Danny's message. But first... As, a, as an introduction or recap of Danny's message, I'm going to have the panel introduce themselves, why they're here, who they are, and partly by answering the question from Pastor Danny's message, what resonated or what impacted you or intrigued you from the message Sunday on Is God Necessary in the Era of Science? I guess I'm in the hot seat, the closest oh, one. I should tell you who I am. <laughs> Sorry. I'm Patty Crone, new here on staff in the area of care and equipping. And today, I'm an amateur scientist. <laughs> Take it away, Jen. Hi. Uh, I'm Jen Saganish. Uh, I teach science, and I'm also the science department head at Redwood Christian School. And so I was asked to, to come and give a perspective from somebody who actually handles this question a lot with teenagers. Um, you know, how can you be a scientist and also a, a person who deeply believes in God And um, I don't know, I guess for me, it seems like a silly question because it's like so in my life, like, is is God necessary? Well, of course he's necessary. Um, I think the way that he described how, um, you know, how people look at the same event, um, whether it's looking up at the stars or whatever, and see different things and how much more rich and, and full our lives are with the knowledge of God, um, rather than just looking at, you know, for, for me, I'm a chemist, just looking at a chemical reaction as, you know, attractive forces between particles versus um, something that was 
designed by God and also reflects like the attractive forces that we have with, with each other and with him. And, you know, like that, even at the smallest particle size that we can, we can see evidence for um, his truth of who he says he is. So I think like, is he necessary? Seems like a, a question like, well, can you live without him for, for a certain amount of time until your body dies? <laughs> but do you want to live without him? Um, is really the question. So. Hello, everyone. My name is Carl Arsina. I've been coming to this church since 2009. Um, my background, I have uh, my bachelor's degree in biochem. I studied some grad school doing molecular biology. And then, um, and now I do IT. So something completely different. But um, happy to be here. How many people uh, heard Danny's sermon on Sunday? Show of hands. Oh, awesome. Okay, great. So two things that resonated for me um, when Danny spoke was, the first thing that comes to mind is nothing goes to waste with God. I, I thought that was really cool where he opened up with uh, Time Magazine and they said, "Do uh, what was it? Like, does God exist or something? Is God like dead? Yeah. Is God dead? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then uh, to, he followed it up later that even that, he, he'll use that Time Magazine um, to even publish a new article that says the Jesus revolution and stuff. And so God, God will always use something that man throws out there and thinks they're bigger and better but uh, our God is huge and big, right? The second thing that uh, resonated with me was when Danny was talking about the story about um, the father who had the daughter that went to, went to school and uh, he was really worried about would, would school like shatter her faith and all that stuff. And, and it reminded me like when I was doing a little bit of the grad school, just studying um, and being in awe with God's wonder um, how even in an embryo, there, there's something called genomic imprinting where there, some genes are silenced and some are expressed. And we all have like our same DNA. We're like 99.9% .9 identical, yet we're so unique and different. And it made me think about David when he was talking about, uh, you knew me in my mother's womb, you knit me together. And, and I, I just saw like God's fingerprint, like touching each and single one of us in our DNA to express like specific genes to make us who we are. So even though we're, we're very identical in our DNA, we are so different because God made us uniquely and wonderfully. And so those are the two things that stood out for me. Miguel? Hi everyone, my name is Miguel. I am the director for Three Crosses Espanol. Uh, I don't know why I'm here. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, you and me both. Yes. No, I'm the comedian here in the panel. No, uh, I was an atheist for 10 years, and even though I'm not a scientist, I do like to struggle with the questions of why God, why science, why reason, and so that's why I'm here, because uh, that's what I do for fun. Just, you know, I, I enjoy apologetics a lot, and so that's why I got invited to this panel today. Uh, one of the takeaways that I took from Nanny is that we as humans, we tend to believe anything or we tend to believe, he mentioned uh, like that somebody planted us, like an extraterrestrial planted us in this planet. Uh, humans will believe that before believing that God created us. And, and that's, uh, that's just to me human nature. And that, that it just it was a good takeaway for me. Sounds great. I have been um, out of town in Colorado. My daughter was actually getting a PhD in physics. So I have this kind of by generation, but she skipped a generation. So anyway, 
Um, I was having a conversation with her in-laws, who are not professing believers, and we were talking about a, a near-fatal accident that a family member had. And it should have been a both parties, and it was her sister's fault, the car accident. And though, though she was completely saved because of scientific technology, airbags, the, the way she, she shouldn't have lived, science saved her life but she doesn't know what to do with the guilt and the fear that resulted from the accident. And that just really reminded me of Danny's message and his example of cancer. And I just thought that was really relevant that while scientific advancement can make our lives easier or simpler or maybe so-called extend our lives, which theologically I don't buy, God decides the day that we live and die. But even if we give that, we still can't find meaning in life. We can't understand the whys. We can't work through the sorrows and the pains of life apart from faith. So that was what my takeaway. And so connecting that to tonight's questions, and this is why we're here, to wrestle with tension, to invite that tension and to lean in and to not be afraid of either science or faith. Ready for our first question? What if you don't believe in God? How to approach others, and this may be related to scientific discovery, how to approach others who ask this question. So first, I think I'm gonna address this one to Jen. What if you don't believe in God? Apply the scientific method. <laughs> um, so, if you don't believe in God, the first thing to do is um, ask some questions you're gonna immediately probably have a hypothesis about the answer to those questions. So it's where you are right now in your walk, right? Based on your current life experience and the questions that you're asking, um, you may have a guess that God does exist and you just need to figure him out, or you may have a guess that God doesn't exist. And based on your hypothesis, you're gonna run some tests. So perhaps you will try praying. Perhaps you will um, go to a Bible study, and uh, as you open the Word of, of God, you read things that you recognize in the world, and you say, wait, that is the way that people are. They are selfish, and they do things that they know they shouldn't do, and, and the, the message that you find in the Bible starts to strengthen your conviction that God does exist, and and you have to go through that process of testing and retesting and trust. I mean, this is how I came to my faith. Um, I had a hunch that God might exist, and then He showed up for me. Um, you know, and in some some ways, very miraculously. So, if you don't believe in God, I would say that you should keep an open mind and investigate for yourself and listen to the testimony of others and read the word and see if you think it makes sense with the world that you see. My daughter's husband is also a physicist and he investigated Christianity after meeting her and said, I want to know what I'm rejecting. Before I reject it, I better study it. 
and his careful study, he applied the scientific method, and he is a follower of Jesus and a scientist at the same time. So follow-up question I'll address to you, Carl, and he did not mention he's also one of our elders. So I'm going to follow up this question of, yeah, how would you approach others who ask this of you? What if I don't believe in God? How could we approach, move towards people who say this to us as believers? Yeah, that, that's a good question because you, you can take them down that scientific method, and, but do it with gentleness and kindness. So my pragmatic way to approach that would be, uh, first of all, pray over it and, and ask God for wisdom. You know, in James, it says, seek, if, if you want wisdom, seek ask God and he will give it abundantly. And so uh, let God lead and facilitate your discussion. The second thing would be, if they don't believe in God, then there's probably some other worldview that they believe in and, and they have a perspective on life in that worldview. But there are some common denominators that all, um, it can be broken down and investigated in a scientific way too. And that would be like our humanity, like what, what are we as humans? Like, what's our value there? Our morality, where, where, does, where do we draw our morals from? Um, authority, like who is authoritative? What is absolute truth or relative truth? And then I, I would just approach it in, in, a, in that kind of gentle way, break down that conversation with that person and just ask them like, um, you know that it's like, you probably know it's not right to kill somebody. Where do you get that from? Where, where, where does that come from? And, and just listen. You don't have to like Bible thump them or anything like that, but you just listen with um, kindness and gentleness and just hear what they have to say. And you'll see them that they'll, they'll start wrestling with it. And, and they'll, they, they kind of, they'll try and grasp for something. But if, if their worldview isn't like solid or anything like that, it'll, it'll just kind of fall apart, and then just walk with them and, and see how you can kind of approach them and kind of take them from there. That's great. I'm going to push back both of you just to see how you do here. Because this is my question. So I, I, I search it on my own, or somebody I love searches it on their own, really does a diligent study, um, reads the resources, we even encourage them, and they pop back up to us. And we've even been a good example, and we've, we've even been able to pull down their own worldview as, as not sustainable, and they say, I just don't believe. I just still don't believe. What is our approach then? I actually have a student that I've been in touch with for about eight years now, and um, he continuously comes back to ask me questions. Um, it'll be, uh, he just read this, and he wants to ask me about this. And like, I'm an expert, I'm not an expert. <laughs> But, um, but he keeps coming to me. And, and I think that this is a sign that he is desperate for me to convince him. He wants to be convinced. Um, and so I just ha keep having the conversation. I don't give up, you know? And it's been eight years. And over that time, some he, he did come to me one day and he's like, I think I... I finally do understand grace. And that seemed like it was a step, you know? Um, so I don't think that we have the responsibility to save anybody. So we, we can't do it unless God is, is doing it, right? But if they're continuing to come to you, then 
I don't think you should slam a door in anyone's face. Persevere with kindness. What were you going to say, Miguel? Yeah, if I can give you a tool that I use all the time, it's, uh, there's this book called Tactics. Um, this is an amazing book. Uh, it will teach you how to ask questions. Definitely three questions that you have to ask. First, first one is, what do you mean by that? So if somebody says, I don't believe in God, you ask, what do you mean by God? I mean, what do you mean? Because sometimes they don't even think about what they don't believe in. Then the second question is, how do you get to that conclusion? What was your reasoning behind your conclusion? And the third question is, have you ever considered? Have you ever considered this, that we don't believe that? Or, or that we do believe in that? So those three questions will get you into people's hearts. Because a lot of the uh, arguments against God, they have something behind that you have to dig into. So three questions. Uh, what do you mean by that? Uh, how do you get to that conclusion? Have you ever considered? And the book, Tactics, it's uh, Craig Krugel, I think is the, the name of the, of the author. Um, read it. It's an amazing tool for you guys. Great resource. Mm -hmm. I, I, I shared my pen down there. I'd be writing those questions down. Those are, those are fantastic, Miguel. And I think just to bring down some of that fear and anxiety for us, it is the Spirit of God that opens eyes. And it, Jesus, who said, all that the Father has brought to me will come to me. We get to rest in the work of God and just enter what he's doing. And I think it's so important to know that we cannot get anybody into heaven and we do not send anybody into hell. We, we get to be faithful and give that hope within us. And I love what you said, Jen, about just persevering with kindness and keeping that door open and never making a judgment about where a certain person is going or not going or where the conversation will lead. And I love those questions. Those are fantastic. We're going to move in towards some more questions related that I think are also connected to the spirit opening our eyes and empowering belief. Um, I'm going to combine two questions related to ever uh, eternal life and resurrection. One is, how do I truly know that when I leave my earthly body that there is life with Christ everlasting? And I do, I can see the connection to this with science. I want empirical evidence, right? How do I truly know that when I leave my earthly body that there is life with Christ everlasting? And then the second, another question related. In my late 20s, I met a 40-year-old man I was not a Christian at the time, and he proposed that Jesus was the first magician and mentalist and went about elaborating on how the resurrection was a hoax. Now that I'm a Christian and I've investigated it for myself, I can answer him more readily with counterpoints. Will the church be going through evidence like this? I understand that there are no pat answers, even looking through and examining everything. You still have to take it on faith that God gave us Jesus as the best evidence for his love? I think the strongest argument that we have as Christians is the resurrection. There's, we are Christians because of the resurrection. Um, so we have to understand that not every, not every knowledge that we possess is scientific. Uh, we got philosophical knowledge, we got historical knowledge that you can argue that it's a science too, but it's not the same as scientists to be test tubing and all that. But the resurrection is the well-attested uh, historical fact that we know. Even Paul mentions 1 Corinthians 15 that if he did not resurrect, then our faith is void or is dumb or whatever your translation says. Um, so you always go back to the resurrection. There's a ton ton, ton of uh, 
evidence that Christ did resurrect. Uh, and we were talking in, uh, on the same questions of just the testimony of every single follower of Jesus. Uh, Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15 that there's over 500 of them that are dying because they saw the risen Christ. And we just have to go back to the resurrection. There, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, <laughs> I, I think maybe from uh, proof of the resurrection, like building on what Miguel was saying, I, I think um, we, we can explore it like as a, um, through an investigation process too. And just like, um, you know, there's a great book from like Lee Strobel, like the case for Christ, where he, he, he was actually not, for, for those of you who are not familiar with that book, he, he was an atheist and uh, a reporter. And so he just, and his wife was a believer and, and he put his reporting skills to the test to kind of go investigate the truth, right? And, and as, as he investigated, he found a lot of empirical evidence and stuff of, about Christ's existence, his resurrection, and the people that followed him. And so like some, some of the takeaways like inside there, just to know that Christ's existence is there. We were talking about it too, are um, the disciples themselves are, are also a good proof that his existence was there and he resurrected from the dead because if they were even to, um, if this was all a lie, why would these men die for something that was not true? And, and, um, and, and all the evidence that's also reported inside the Bible too. You know, the, the question about faith and science is, is kind of a silly one to me too because the um, scientists have so much faith um, it just isn't always in God. And so, like, when I was talking about the scientific method, you know, we, we don't learn things that way that ultimately we would ever know they're true, right? We believe they're true because of a, a huge mountain of evidence, right? But there's, it's not the same kind of deductive reasoning that leads to a definite true conclusion, it's the kind of experience and evidence that leads to a closer to the truth conclusion, and you get closer and closer and perfect it and perfect it and perfect it. But even like as a chemist, when I think about atomic theory and the progress of, of learning about uh, you know, what atoms are and, and how people came to those conclusions, and then they, they sat it, it for a time in wrong ideas about atoms. And then um, they, they continued in their investigation and they corrected their wrong ideas, or at least it seems to be more perfect now, right? And the understanding becomes more and more perfect. But there's always gonna be what we call a leap of faith, right? Because the, the truth is there. You're getting closer and closer and closer and closer to it. So the faith leap seems more secure, right? But we don't know in the sense of like that we can know the truth. We believe because we're close enough to the truth that we can see it, even if we can't completely understand it at this time. I think that goes back to, you know, faith is, Hebrews 11, faith is the evidence of things unseen, the certainty. 
of, of what we cannot know. But what's so beautiful, I think, connected to what you're saying, Jen, and each of you are saying about the resurrection is we don't have a blind faith. I think that's one of the criticisms we may get from um, unbelievers is you have blind faith. No, we have faith that is based on something very true. So yes, we have to take faith to the next level, but our faith is based on a truly resurrected Savior. More so than that, I remember when I first became a believer, I was convinced of the resurrection by the disciples' death, all the martyrdom, and just if you really study their lives and how they gave their lives, it's not just that they were killed for their faith, but how they were killed for their faith. And that's been the story, you know, of of the church. What was more fascinating to me and more evidence for me the longer I became a believer is there's no explanation for the way my own heart has changed than there is a resurrection. And Paul says this, the power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies. And I think sometimes we're missing resurrection evidence because we're not stepping out in faith in doing something that we don't think that we could ever do, but God is calling us to do it, or in trusting or in forgiving someone we think is unforgivable. And when we step out in faith and we see the power of God flow through us, there was a story about Corey Ten Boom forgiving, I don't know if you know the story of, of Corey, but forgiving the SS guards who killed her sister in a concentration camp. One asked her to forgive him. And the minute she extended her hand She just felt the power of the resurrection flow through her body and the ability to forgive the unforgivable. So for my own life and for just people I've got to walk alongside, there's so much evidence of the resurrection. There's no other explanation than that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the dead. So we have to live by faith, but it's not a blind faith. It is based on a true person. And when we step out in faith, God is so faithful to build our faith. And so um, I'm sure if I got to hear the stories of all of you in this room, I wouldn't need the disciples, the 12 disciples, to convince me that Jesus is alive. It would be your own stories. And uh, that's pretty amazing, don't you think? Oh, there was one thing I did want to ask you, Jen. You had a great comment about this. Is the church going to teach this? You made an interesting comment when we were discussing, and I think, I think they need to hear that one. That was good. Oh, well, the question was, is the church it's, going to te- go through the evidence? Go through the right? evidence. Yeah. Is, the, is the church going to go through the evidence and present it to us? Yeah, and I think the church has in the past at, at some time gone through some of this evidence, and they will probably again in the future, but we can't teach the same apologetics every single Sunday or people would stop coming because we all come to these questions at a different time. And so um, I think these questions are just really well done in small groups. Um, If you can find people that are interested in the same type of apologetic questions that you are, like how do we know the the confidence of the resurrection and whatnot, um, you know, finding a a small group to do that book study with and maybe inviting um, somebody who has already wrestled through those things. I think this kind of question just seems to me um, more appropriate to, uh, to, to conversation and questions that can't happen in the large congregation where we're, you know, um, worshiping and, and all of that as well. So, And what happens to us when we do our own investigation? Well, it's just a lot more exciting. Yeah, right? yeah. there's yeah. awe. There's yeah. so much awe there. So again, we're going to, we, we learn and we, and it really gets into our DNA, what we actually study ourselves. So that was, I just thought that was a great comment, a really good, really good thought that... 
I think everyone needed to hear. Question four. This was a great question. All of these have been fantastic. In these current chaotic times, which seem dark, despairing, geopolitically divided with corruption, deception, and technological advancements like chat, GPT, robots, AI, etc., that push the limits of human creation to challenge our creator and God himself. What do you, pastors and leaders, think of our possible end times that we may be in? And how would you protect, feed, and care for us sheep and grow in our, to grow in our faith in Christ here at Three Crosses and beyond? That's a good question and a lot to unpack there too as well. Um, I would kind of maybe talking about the first stuff, like how we're living in this world with, with all this stuff going on. Um, you know, I think we have to go back to the beginning and look at, like, this is a broken world. And um, it, it's, it's a world that God cursed from the beginning. And it it's just getting worse. And I think about, like, also in uh, Ephesians, we're not fighting against each other, but against the, it, it's a spiritual battle that goes beyond this where, um, it's it's God and the devil and and the, um, how how it's a duel with each other and that's what we see like that that's all the stuff with did someone say roadblocks in that or yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's 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 um, the politics that are fighting it's it's the video games it's all that other stuff that's going on but um, something that's reassuring in that process is that um, you know I think God uses every uh, like good, uh, he'll make good out of like these bad things and in, in, in um, the stuff that's going on, like how you may see like the internet as something where, um, you know, it proliferates sex and other stuff. But at the same time, God will use that internet to send the gospel message out there and, and share it with other. You can get live feeds of, uh, from Facebook where they're doing worship service all around the world. And so God, God will use things like that. Nothing will go to waste. And uh, just like that Time magazine, or, or even like how in the past there were like, like a Grecian empire that went out there and conquered the world. But then uh, in part of that process, it, it standardized like Greek language and, and translated the Bible for, for the world to kind of expand on that. So God uses all of these things to, um, for the greater of his good. And so he's constantly at work. And I, I would just look at it as like, God is working in this world. How, how can we join him? And, and he gave us a savior there to, to help us um, find the way home and, and bring us back together there. So we're, we're victorious in Christ. Yeah, to me that question, end of times and the return of Jesus scares me more, not because of the end, but of how Christ will see me when he comes back. Because he will ask me like, hey, what are you doing? Or what have you done? Are you reaching people for, for my kingdom or not? Um, I mean, then we'll come. I will probably die before I see, you know, it happening. But uh, I was talking to, to, to the guys and, and just the promise that Jesus did that uh, he will build his church and uh, the gates of heaven will not overcome it. Uh, Chat GPT and technology, it will pass. Everything will pass. His word is... Um, forever. Uh, one of the things that I'm hopeful for the church is that we have the gospel, which is the power of, of, of God to transform lives. That's something that we have. And there's no other hope for the world 
Because we can answer, why are we here? And where are we going? Is that something that science will never answer? That's something that science will cannot attempt to answer? And that's something that you guys and us have as the Church of Christ. Um, I have a friend, some of you know the same person, uh, who is attempting to evangelize to chat GPT. And um, I love this because um, ChatGPT is very conversational. And in you trying to convince ChatGPT to be a believer, guess what you're going to do? Work on your arguments for uh, real people. Without that, being embarrassed. Without, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, it's non-emotional. But also, if we could convince ChatGPT <laughs> To be a believer, then think I've of tried it with Siri. It hasn't worked. She's, she's like, I am not qualified to answer that question. <laughs> Siri, is the resurrection real? Have you tried, tried this? <laughs> I recommend. I recommend. It's right up there with asking it to divide zero by zero. <laughs> <laughs> Although if you ask for the meaning of the universe, it will, say, it will give you the answer from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. But fun fact. We diverge. Um, okay, I'm not... But a, it was a fun <laughs> diverge. Um... I'm not a pastor. The question was how the, the, uh, the church, and, um, but I am a member of the church, and I would say if we're feeling the darkness of the world, then it's time to circle our wagons and, um, you know, and be the church and be a community for each other and hold each other up and not expect um, this building or this organization to do it for us, but we need to be that for each other. So um, if this is something that you're personally struggling with is fear, um, you know, find your security in your fellow believers and, that, um, and be that security for each other. It's so great that Jesus, yeah, he, he did, as far as the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, he also promised that in this world we would have trouble, that he has overcome the world. Um, he promised that there would be wars, rumors of wars. He promised that in, in, in the end times, it will Paul to Timothy, but by the hand of the Holy Spirit, that people would be lovers of self, lovers of money. There is really nothing new under the sun. Technological advancement has crossed some interesting boundaries in creating life. I, I understand that. I, I agree. And I do think, and what I love about this question is that while, while the scriptures remain um, to remind us and compel us to evangelize that this place is not our home, that we are headed to perfection because of Jesus' sacrifice, um, that when we see the truth of what's happening in our society alongside, when we hear the news alongside the word of God, we are reminded that God's word can be trusted because it is true and it is happening. So it compels us to not only continue to evangelize because the end is coming, but it also gives us hope that if God's word is true, so are the promises that Christ chose to come into this broken world and to suffer everything that we have ever suffered and beyond in our place. So he can be our sympathetic high priest. He can walk alongside us. And then he has secured for us an eternity where we will not need any technological or scientific advancement, will we? Because all the things we're creating are trying to create the utopia that is the heaven that Jesus has established for us. Can I hear an amen? So, but I do love that we do need to, as leaders and as members of one another, nuance our care and recognize that as culture changes and science changes, the attacks of our faith are different, right? The confrontations of our faith. So let's nuance our care for each other. 
Let's listen. Let's listen to what the fears and the anxieties are behind these questions. And in terms of the whole end times, Jesus was pretty clear, and so was the rest of the New Testament. We've been in the end times since Jesus ascended. We are in the last days. They've been called the last days. So we're, yes, we are in them. We are in them. We are in the church age. We are in the time of redemption, but not the time of fulfillment. And so we can't expect things to be, to be difficult. So discipling remains exactly the same. It's always been about and will be about sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel, and becoming like Jesus. And our care can be more nuanced and aware of how are these things affecting our children? How are these things affecting our parents? How is technological and scientific advancement impacting the way people think and feel and listen to them? I just love so much of what you all have been saying about just moving into people's lives and asking those questions. Miguel, we're so good. Tell me what you mean. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what your questions are. And really caring and listening is so, 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 so powerful. One thing that I would add as a new person on staff and a new person to this church that I am so grateful to be a part of a church that deeply cares about what is happening culturally and has taken the time to do and explore God Bay Area, to join these churches and to wrestle with these hard questions. I think it's an it's a indication that our elders and our pastors are wanting to care for us and, and are, are really trying to be on the cutting edge of the things that we face in our life. But I also just love and want to just underscore what Jen said. We need to not be expecting all our pastors and elders to do all of this for us. We can do this for each other. And then we grow and we become more in awe of who God is. All right, you ready for me to pose my last question to our panelists and then we'll give you a couple minutes together too. So. What kinds of questions are you all being asked, especially Jen and Carl, but also Miguel? What kind of questions are you being asked related to science and faith? Like what, are, what kind of bubbles up, especially among teenagers? What kind of questions are you getting? And, and what do you think about those questions? And how do you respond? And maybe more in the workplace, Carl? How many hours do you have? Um. Okay, pick the top one, top question. Okay, so um, I'll just go there. I teach at a Christian school and I teach science. So even when I was interviewing for the job, I knew I had to prepare. So I went to the library and I checked out the entire section on evolution. Um, and uh, both Christian and non-Christian perspectives and arguments back and forth. And I would say that's the number one question that I get from the teenagers. It's the thing that they're arguing about. Um, and uh, my, um, my current, um, you know, I guess tactic is to try to disarm them um, because, as I said before, the position of a scientist is that we don't pretend to know something that we don't know. We admit that we have doubts and we're continuing to investigate. And we don't just throw out the whole idea because we don't have this tiny detail worked out. So, um, you know, these kids are teenagers and, and parents have fears that they're going to go off to college and they're going to learn about things that are going to rock their faith. And so 
I view my job as to, to try to, I guess, provide some insurance that they're not just going to throw away their whole faith if they have a question on one thing, right? Let that be the thing that you wrestle with. And as Danny said, let's not be afraid of it. Let's live in the tension. Let's have the conversations. And the other thing that I, I try to focus on with them is that they don't have to be correct, but they should be asking the question of what is God's word trying to teach us, whether it's literal or not, what can we learn about God from, from his word? And what is he trying to teach us from the world that he's created? The way that it looks, the way that people have come to conclusions based on the laws of physics and chemistry and biology and things that we've discovered, there, there's like an, uh, an impression there that this logical conclusion of, of what we see where is God in that? And what is he telling us about himself in that? And it's okay for a student to say, you know, I'm in a place where I need to, I need to believe in a seven-day creation that it's literally true, that God wouldn't lie, that, that it's, it, it, but that's, it's a very, um, it's a very simple uh, kind of like, this is what it says and this is what it means. And that's kind of where, where they're at. And there's other kids that are like, you know, I'm, I'm open to the idea of a God who can, can see in a fraction of an instant all of creation unfolding and say, this is, it, it, you know, it was done, but not from a human perspective. And, you know, that kid has a different uh, idea of who God is. They're just in a different part of their relationship with God. And so um, rather than, you know, uh, promoting kind of like a, this, the, the, you know, teenagers are, are worried. They're peer pressure. They're worried that if they admit what they, they, they're thinking, that their friends are going to say, oh, you're not really a Christian because you don't believe the way I do. And I just really try to disarm that and, and help them to, to be in the tension, to, um, to understand that they don't have to have it all figured out right now. Um, and that the Bible, you know, sometimes reading the Bible is like looking at your grandparents' old photo albums, right? It's, it's a, a way to build a relationship and to learn about the past uh, and to find things out about somebody that you currently know during a time that you didn't know, right? And so our current relationship with God, we're going to find out things about his, about the past of humanity and about how God has behaved in the past that will probably surprise us, just like when you find that picture of your grandmother in her bikini in Maui or whatever, right? Like, you're going to be like, what? You... You know, so there will be things like that when we read the Bible as well, right? That we, our relationship changes because of the history that we learn about God and his people and who he is. So um, just the black and white, you know, uh, it, either you believe this or you don't believe at all um, is, is uh, you know, a dangerous place for a teenager to be and probably anybody to be. And so... Um, when it comes to faith and science, you know, I remind them that scientists have a tremendous amount of faith. It's just not always in God. 
and, um, and that we can, um, you know, exercise that faith in a lot of different ways and just to be, be open to the conversations. Even talking to my daughter and her son-in-law, you know, are you concerned about scientific discoveries coming that will impact the Bible? And it's just so clear that while God's Word is inerrant, it is God-breathed, it is, it is perfect, our interpretations are not, right? So I believe God's Word is pure and it is inerrant. I do not believe that all of your interpretations and my interpretations of His Word are inerrant. And I think what science is going to help us do is actually interpret the Bible better. You know, we, in fact, that was in Danny's sermon about the early Christians thought that, that the sun revolved around us. Well, that isn't in the text. There's poetry that can, can allude to that, but that's poetry. God is making a point about how important we are to his heart because we're made in his image. It wasn't a scientific fact God was making. And so as we got scientific discovery, we actually get to know better how God did this and we get to be in awe. So we don't need to be fearful of scientific discovery. But it does take time too. For sure. Because, because, because the human instinct is to rebel against uh, that, that new discovery because of what we already believe. Right, And so we have to also remember that the, those people, when they first said, hey, the, the, actually the earth goes around the sun, they had a lot of criticism. And so if you're a person who is, is feeling like, hey, the church is, you know, kind of, I, I don't know, wrestling with this, this scientific principle, we have to remember that it could take time to figure it out. And so we must remain humble. <laughs> yeah, humble and kind. I remember my daughter early in her early in her her studies thinking, "What if I don't believe it's a new earth? What if I believe old earth? Can I not be a Christian?" And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to, Jen. Is so critical. We need to remember that Orthodox Christianity centers around the person and the work of Jesus. Beautiful Christians who love Jesus and are fully committed to Him do not all agree, probably not even all of our staff and elders agree on um, exactly the days of creation and whether they're epics or whether they're literal days. But what we do believe is that God created and then God is recreating in Jesus. And that's Orthodox Christianity. So we need to be careful that we're not painting a picture that because we have some varying views within, within the creation story that that somehow makes us unbelievers. It doesn't. It makes us hopefully humble and teachable and open and remembering that God spoke and it was. That was the point of Moses in Genesis. Some of the questions that um, come out towards me are, um, they become curious and they kind of, they, they know you're different. So like if, if, if we're Christians, we walk in Christ and we, um, it shows in our character who we are and it'll show up in the workplace. And so one of the things that I, I get asked are, are like, how can you remain so calm when that guy just like kind of attacked you or kind of went at you? and and I think it creates opportunities for us to share the gospel with them too. Um, I, I think it's also uh, showing up in the workplace too, where you, you, you know, like maybe you're saying grace before your meal. Um, maybe they see you praying and, and they ask about that and, and it opens doors and you can create relationships to where uh, I prayed over people at work um, 
told people about Jesus at work. So you, you can do it. We, you don't have to be scared about it. Um, I think you could be comfortable in your faith and also be confident in the work that you do. Uh, it is compatible and, and stand true. And, and so then maybe there's other things that I just don't engage in, like um, politics at work or uh, you know certain worldviews and, and things like that. But I'm not going to um, renounce Christ or anything. I'm still a believer in Christ, and I'm going to live like that and act like that. And then that shows up in in the questions and, and it leads to like other opportunities to share the gospel with others. Just a word of encouragement. Don't be afraid of science. Um, there's uh, amazing Christian scientists. There are Bright, Hiros, uh, Francis Collins, I think is the name of that. Yeah. Um, it's just people that are, that love Jesus, that love science. And Honestly, there's answers for every single argument against the existence of God. I mean, the church is almost more than 2,000 years old. Um, we got answers, so don't be afraid. And if you don't have the answer, don't be afraid to say, I don't know. Let me, let me investigate and just apply the scientific method, ask questions, look for a good book, even if it's creation or it's something. There's always an answer for, I mean, I have not heard a and not answer from a question from an atheist, which is, uh, to me, amazing. That's why I became a Christian, because uh, every single question I had was answered. Um, so that's, that's the Christian faith. Do you think, here's another question to pose at you, do you think people are more convinced of, of the reality of Christianity by, a, by our scientific argument or by how we, how we live our life, especially like you mentioned, Carl, in the heat of a difficulty at work? Like, what kind of evidence are people really wanting yeah. that faith is real? Uh, well, to me, it was uh, a mix of both. So you cannot just say, oh, this is heavier than... To me, it was a lot of the arguments uh, in favor of the existence of God when I was looking for God. Um, there's a powerful uh, argument called the Kalam argument, a cosmological argument, which I love. Um, but also, God was knocking on my heart every single day. So it was a mix of... Good arguments, good Christians, my mom praying, my, you know, my wife praying for me. And, and I know that, as uh, Carl mentioned, all things work for, for the ones, you know, that God already chose, uh, chose him from the beginning of, of the universe. So, yes, don't discredit like, arguments, but also, like, you know, prayer, important, uh, just open for conversations, relationships. I think that, uh, it's a mix of both, yeah. Yeah, and I think there... They're not always looking for empirical evidence. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, there's, they have a void in their lives and they're looking for that peace. And, and the peace that we carry having Christ in our hearts is something that they're attracted to. And so when we live it and share it, I, they're drawn to that and, and that's going to bring them closer. And that to me excites me that I can go in that direction. Like you said, Miguel, there's both. That to me, what I just heard is I can go in that direction and somebody who's wanting more scientific evidence, I can introduce them to Jen, right? <laughs> so, I mean, be the body. Let's, do we really need to be a scientist? I had no clue, a word that my daughter was saying in her dissertation. I love her dearly, but I had not a clue what she was talking about. I was so, so lost. But that's okay. She gets to move into a sphere that I'll never get to move into. But I'd like to think I get to move in some spaces maybe she can't move into. So let's be the body, too. What were you going to say, Jen? Oh, I was just going to say, 
echo. It's, it's both. Um, I do think that there are intellectual people out there that want to, to investigate the intellectual arguments, and there are some fantastic books um, that, uh, that go into those in, like really deep intellectual, uh, like the, the, the Case for Christ is one. Um, another one that I read that I really enjoyed was um, Seeking Allah, Finding Fine. Jesus. Yeah, Seeking that was, Allah, that's a yeah, great read. Really We're going to put these resources on the podcast, <laughs> by the way. That gets you to listen. But um, we'll put, we'll put some, some of these resources on there. And then Pastor Danny had two on his sermon, um, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin. And also, I'm, um, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist by... Guys, yeah. There's a couple that are, are more scientifically based too. Um, uh, I, I'll I'll send we'll you the those. books. We'll but get those there, on. I know that there's one that was written by the guy who like ran the Human Genome Project, and he yeah yeah yeah. It's really there's some great resources yeah. out there, and I just love that because I think that means we get you get to be you in your area where God has equipped you and has impassioned you to, to study and lean in. And then let's do this together. I think that is really, really powerful. How about tonight? What has intrigued you from this panel? Just throw out any, any thoughts of what has maybe piqued your interest? Anything else you would want to ask? Why do most scientists... Well, most don't anymore, do they? <laughs> Did I answer the question right? Do, he what, said, why do most scientists believe, believe in evolution? Um, yeah, it's a, that's a difficult uh, question to answer in a few minutes. Um, I think, I, I honestly do think that part of it is peer pressure, right? Like, the, um, there's... The, the scientific community, um, the way that they interact with each other is very questioning and, and whatnot. And, and, but also, I think that um, the evidence has been presented in a way that is, uh, um, it's believable to a person who's looking at, looking for patterns, looking, and, and is not try, uh, taking into consideration um, you know, any sort of preconceived notion. So, um, you know, the, 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 um, the way that we understand that uh, the animals mutate and, and whatnot, and that we see, um, it's hard for a, a, an individual to fathom that that could result in, in completely different species. Um, but once you hear of something, you know, many, many times and, and are presented with the evidence many, many times, I think, um, that, that it becomes more believable, right? Yeah, I think um, why people believe in evolution is because if, if, um, if that was not true and there was, like, sound proof that there is a God, like, people could understand that, then we are all accountable to a higher power here. And, um, and if we're accountable to that higher power, then it's how we live our lives. And I think that's something that man wrestles with a lot. And so they, they feel more comfortable, uh, you know, identifying with some scientific uh, theory that's out there. Uh, but, but even if you kind of break it down, like there's a lot of, um, you know, like I, I'm thinking of Romans 1, where Paul says the evidence is abundant. It's all in nature. It's everywhere. And, um, you know, even Darwin wrote something where he said, 
for complex organisms, like my whole theory of evolution cannot hold by itself. And you look at something complex like an eyeball where there's like millions and thousands of proteins and everything coming together by evolutionary chance, it's, it's kind of like, it, it's impossible. And so just the awe of nature and God's creation just shows that there's more to evolution. And, and once the evolution theory falls apart in probably you know, 10, 20 years, uh, there'll be something else like aliens creating us and th yeah. <laughs> things like Absolutely. that. It's not gonna stop because that's the way man is wrestling with God. But I also think like that Christians, Christians are, as I, I kind of tried to allude to it before, they have a, uh, if you're a Christian who believes in evolution, that God could have created by a, uh, establishing a method by which DNA would replicate and occasionally have uh, what we would call an error, but if this was the design of God, so that in one act of creation of this method of having chemicals attracted to each other in specific ways, that he could create everything by this, you know, by this way. This, this demonstrates a God who has foreknowledge, right? And we know that that's an attribute of our God. And so I think it's possible that um, when people, whether they believe in a seven-day creation or in evolution, they're, they're thinking about God and his attributes in a different way, right? They're, they're looking at a God who is all-knowing and, and omnipotent and, and infinite, right? And, and has designed attractive forces between atoms to, to do things. And, and how we feel about it is one thing. Right, but how he actually designed it to do is another. So um, that's why, I, like I said, I, I, I don't think that, um, I think that the, the, there, there's a, some convincing arguments uh, to, be, to be listened to and, to and to be made. And I still think that there's, there's something that we can be taught about who God is and his design and his purpose for creation. I think one of the things that I love about what has been consistent about this panel is this idea that, of awe. Yeah. And I think that's what Jen is saying, is that whether, whether, whether we have a creator who, even within certain species, has designed that species to adapt and to change based on a fallen world, that's stunning. Yeah. Or whether he created them exactly as they are for his purposes, it doesn't take us away from a creator. And that connects kind of what to you said, what to your point, Carl, that um, within evolution and some science, there is this desire to discover a way that I am not created. Because if I'm not created, there's no creator and I have accountability to no one. And that goes back to, this is the way I can tie all these together, that goes back to what Miguel said earlier as to why are you asking this question? What's what, tell me, explain your question to me. Because I think if we can find out, are people coming from a place of fear? Are they coming from a place of pride? Are they coming from a place of, I don't wanna lose control? Christianity has incredible hope and answers to all of that. We're not meant to bear the weight of our own createdness. We can't, we can't carry that kind of freight, but we wanna go in the, the care door, the shepherding door of what is motivating, whether it's a scientist or whether it's a sociologist or whether it's a stay-home mom, what is motivating um, um, beliefs that are not accurate? What were you yeah. gonna say, Miguel? Um, and we represent the truth 
which is Jesus. Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. So don't be afraid of truth. Um, if science is guiding us into something that is truth, all truth is God's truth. So we have to be also like open. Uh, as we mentioned, there's a lot of scientists, Christian scientists that believe in one theory, still theories. And then there's the other side that still believe their, their theories, but they still call themselves brothers in Christ, uh, which is, I go back to always to the resurrection, because that to me is the cornerstone of our faith and not necessarily, you know, Evolution or not evolution or creation or not creation. I want to give you a few time, few minutes to turn to just a couple people around you and just kind of share together anything that has shifted tonight or from um, Pastor Danny's sermon. What has shifted in your thinking about the role of science or the role of faith in the scientific era? What is is anything shifted for you? Um, this week based on Sunday or even some of the things that we've talked about tonight. Has anything shifted in your thinking about the role of faith in a scientific era? Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, here we go. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How does this speak to science and faith? Isn't it amazing as we look at scientific discovery, back to that main idea from Pastor Danny's message, that scientific discovery speaks to the complexities of the universe that God has created. And then we get to this passage of what is man that you're mindful of him. What awe that God allows us to discover what he has done. He lets us participate in discovery. He lets us participate in creation, even when we don't give him the praise that is due to him. I just think it's so staggering, and it's such amazing grace. And this same God who created all of this, who created all of the beauty, the creation that declares his glory, Romans 1 was spoken of many times, he created it, and before the foundation of it knew we would break it that we would rebel against him and that we would bring sin into his world. In Romans 8, creation's groaning. As gorgeous as creation is, it's groaning to be set free. Imagine when Christ returns and all of creation is set free. But what is staggering to me and causes such incredible awe is the God who created all of this created you and I, and we're his favorite part of creation and that he would give his son to recreate us that he would step again into a world, his perfect world that we brought sin into, into a world in which we then choose to sin. And he would send his son into that. 
And he would come and he would be here and empty himself of his heavenly glory and take on the form of a man so that we could get recreated, so that we could stand in awe of creation. And as, as Danny mentioned, we had talked about before, and not have to watch a sunset like an atheist. We can watch a sunset and say, this is my God. And that same God that raises the sun every morning brings resurrection, new life into my life every day, and I get to get changed. Like this God who created all of this created me and then gave me Jesus so I could get recreated and become like him. I don't know. To me, the overall message of all of this is awe, right? Awe. So I'm excited for scientific discovery. I'm excited for what scientists are going to discover in the in the years ahead because I think it's only going to testify to the to the glory of God. So thank you all for being here. Let me pray and send you out, Father. What is man? Who are we that you are mindful of us? You chose to make us in your very image so that we could discover the complexities of you, your universe so that we could stand in awe of who you are and what you do, but we could also stand in joyful awe over what you've done in Jesus. Lord, may we be part of your creation that declares your glory in the way we just live out faith in our awe of creation and in our awe of Jesus recreating us and those around us. Uh, May that be on display in the East Bay. We pray. Amen.